Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. The Women of Golf Show is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiasts. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine with insightful reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, helping you improve your game from tee to green. Good morning, welcome to the Women of Golf, the number one women's golf show around the world, with hosts Ted Odorico and Cindy Miller. Join them as they interview some of the best players from the Epson, LPGA and Legends Tour, and so many others helping to elevate women's golf. So without further ado, here are your hosts, Ted and Cindy. All right. Good morning. Welcome, everybody. Hi, Cindy. Wow. Yeah, that was interesting, wasn't it? Well, it turns out I muted my mic. (laughs) I didn't realize it. I've already done. I'm going to do a very quick introduction again because I apologize to our guest. So uh, our guest this morning is Teresa Warner. She's an LPGA Epson Tour player, and uh, she attended the University of Arizona and played on the women's golf team. And in 2020-2021, her sophomore year, she received an All-Pac-12 Honorable Mention and the WGCA Scholar All-American. 
Uh, also, she joined the Wildcats on the heels of a 17th place finish at the 29th Women's Amateur. Uh, she recorded wins at the WJGA State Championship in 2017 and the Bubba Connolly Tournament in 2018. And she was also runner-up at the 29th uh, edition of the same tournament. And she was in a three-way tie this past week at the Copper Rock Championship uh, in a two-hole playoff, where ultimately she ended up being the runner-up. So please welcome, Cindy, our special guest this morning, Teresa Warner. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me on the show. <laughs> I just have well, to we're give you a little bit of grief. Just because uh, I always forget to unmute myself. I know. Listen, I apologize. <laughs> I apologize to both of you. I put it on during the intro. Or, yeah. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going away and I'm saying, okay, Cindy, are you here? Okay. And then Teresa's not answering. I'm thinking, and I can see you both online and I'm like, okay, come on, where are you? Uh, this is, this is not funny. And I'm looking to see if I got knocked <laughs> off or, and then I just have to look down and I saw this little red button glaring at me and it's like, oh darn, I forgot to turn the mic on. So, all right. Anyways, uh, Teresa, my apologies and welcome um, to the Women of Golf, and thank you for joining us. Um, I'm yeah, gonna since you. I've got my mic. Yes. <laughs> this will be this will be one for the history books, Cindy. Um, so let me uh, let me just start things off real quick. So as I mentioned uh, the second time around, uh, you were in a three-way tie mm-hmm. this past week at the Copper Rock Championship. And obviously, uh, Savannah uh, Vallabi was uh, the eventual winner of the event um, after a couple of holes. But um, give us just a sort of a, a brief overview of how you felt going in, because you, you had some, and we'll talk a little bit about it in specifics, but you had some really, really uh, good holes throughout the three rounds. Tell us a little bit about uh, um, your, your event. Yeah, um, so going into the playoffs, I was super excited. Um, sure, it is kind of unfortunate that you, if you end up in a playoff, um, but I was really excited to play in it. And we had the grandstands right there on the 18th green and so many people watching and supporting us. So I was just going to go out there and have a really good time, no matter how the outcome was. Now you had we were talking um, briefly off air before you came on, and I was mentioning that mm-hmm. um, you had some pretty impressive rounds coming in. You know, your first round you had I think seven, yeah, eight, nine birdies, uh, giving an ultimately yeah. and only two bogeys. So you had um, an incredible finish. I believe that put you at sixty-five. Uh, so you had a strong mm-hmm. start and then just a lot of birdies and you, you never did worse than two bogeys. In fact, the last round, you only had one bogey. Um, so you had some really solid golf. How did you feel throughout the week? I felt super calm and confident throughout the whole week. Um, prior to, prior to the event, um, I was just kind of focusing on my game plan uh, playing practice rounds. I played the Monday Pro-Am, um, which was really fun and kind of just got me used to the golf course in a fun way. So during the event, I just kind of stuck to my game plan, made a couple adjustments here and there, but overall I was really just calm and focused, and that's exactly what I wanted this week or last week. 
Yeah, and and you 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 know we were talking a little bit because I mentioned you know about how your putting was, and you said your putting was really mm-hmm. uh, really tight through this tournament, um, but maybe at times a little sketchy earlier in the season. How did you how did because you guys had just came off a three, basically a three week break between events. Um, do you find that challenging? I mean, it's nice to have some time off, but do you find that more challenging than say if you just had a week off? Um, when you've got a long period of time like that, does it kind of like, okay, what am I going to do for the next three weeks? I mean, obviously you're going to practice, but um, what did you do during your three weeks off? Yeah, during my three weeks off, I took a lot of time to rest and to just get my body prepared for the next stretch of events. I think that's super important. When you're given an opportunity to do that, you should definitely take it. Because out here, it's, it's pretty taxing, um, both the travel and playing every week. Um, it does take a toll on you both physically and mentally. So when you have time off, I highly recommend taking it and focusing on getting your mind and body ready for the next event, as well as taking your time to practice and fine-tune um, the skills in your game that you maybe were lacking um, in the week before. And for me, for me, that was um, putting a lot and just kind of overall consistency um, with ball striking. So that's what I focused on in practice during those three weeks. Do you find though, um, and the reason why I was really asking that question more so was, is it a longer period than what you would, typically like i mean it's always nice to have a break and i agree with you you have to have some downtime and you have to be able to to do other things but is was three weeks um maybe a longer stretch than you would normally prefer like maybe two weeks would be just enough or one week would be okay uh or does it matter to you um to be honest for me it doesn't matter all that much i think anything over three weeks would be too much definitely without um, going that long, without competing, you can sometimes get out of, like, the competitive mindset, and that's really important to have. But um, so two two weeks, maybe two and a half, three is okay. Um, But anything more than that, probably not. Yeah, and that's what I was really driving at was, I mean, obviously I know you're going to, make good use of your time. You're not just going to sort of flop down on the, on the couch and, mm-hmm. and not do anything. But that's what I was really getting at was the sort of from the competitiveness. Cause when you get away from that for a little while, it, it presents more of a challenge, but you know, I think if you keep yourself busy enough and you're focusing on the things um, and, you know, playing some, some rounds yourself and then challenging yourself, you can kind of keep that competitive juices sort of going. So that's really what I was getting at. And you, you answered it very well. Thank you. Um, Cindy, go ahead. Yeah. Where are you from? I am from Kennewick, Washington. Wow. And were you recruited to Arizona? I was, yes. Arizona was since, like, I first started looking at um, universities that I wanted to play for. They were always at, like, the top of my list. Um, and were one of the first that I visited as well. So I was recruited by them, but 
I think I was definitely the initiator in that whole relationship with Arizona golf. When did you start playing in tournaments? How old were you? Um, I started playing tournaments when I was in sixth grade, I believe. So I would be like 11 or 11 12. or 12. Yeah. yeah. What would you tell someone who is 11 or 12? What advice mm-hmm. would you give them if they wanted to play like you are right now? What would you tell them? I would definitely tell them to have fun and go out there and have fun every single time you play or practice or anything like that. Um, make sure make sure you build your love for the game first um, and make it an experience an activity that you just absolutely love to do so that when you go out there, your passion and your motivation increase because those are things that you're going to need when you're out here on uh, Epsom Tour or the LPGA Tour. Your love for the game is what's going to get you through a lot of um, tough situations that you might find yourself in out on the golf course. And how can you build your love for the game? Um, like I said, just make sure you're going out there and fun and reminding yourself that even if things aren't going perfect or as good as you want them to, um, that's golf and mistakes are going to happen, bad rules are going to happen, um, but just know that you're doing your best and that that is what matters. Awesome. Awesome. Ted? So um, you mentioned that you started playing competitively when you were about 11 or 12. When did you first know mm-hmm. that, hey, this is what I want to do? When when was the that sort of um, moment in, in your earlier um, years did you decide, okay, this is something I want to do? How did you sort of come to that? realization that, hey, I want, to, I want to be a professional golfer? Um, the exact moment, I am, I'm unsure, but I would say the turning point for my golf game was when I was in eighth grade, so about 13 years old. Um, I went to a golf academy in Florida for three months, and Tom Burnett Golf Academy, if anybody's wondering. Um, mm-hmm. And that is when I pushed really hard every single day for three months straight. And I was working and playing with um, professionals on the semester tour, which is what it was back then, um, men on the European tour, and just a bunch of um people who are trying to play at the highest level. And that was extremely important to me in deciding that 
you know, golf is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Being around these people, it was the lifestyle that I wanted. And now that's what I'm doing. So it mm-hmm. all worked out. And, you know, you mentioned to me off air that obviously the travel and, and stuff can be challenging. What, what's some of the most challenging parts? Uh, obviously travel being one of them. Um, that that because you, you you said a few moments ago to, um, in response to Cindy that you know obviously the main thing is you want to make sure you're going out there and having fun and that but there's a lot more to it so that it goes on behind the scenes so give us sort of an overview of what goes on uh, behind the scenes as a player what do you need to do and what other things it's not just out there on the golf course that that is a factor uh, because you're essentially your own boss so you have to do you know virtually everything so what give us an, a synopsis of what it's like week out. Week in, week out. Yeah, so weekend, so let's say off time. Um, off time, you have to focus on your fitness. You have to focus on your diet. Um, those are two main things because if, if your body is happy and healthy, it's way easier for your mind to be happy and healthy, Um So those are things that I focus on uh, year-round, in-season, off-season, but definitely making sure that that is a big part of your life. Um, In addition to that, uh, when I am about to head to a tournament, you have to figure out hotels where you're going to stay. If you're going to do host housing, you have to figure out flights and rental cars and all of that. And uh, I do some of it on my own. Luckily, my dad is super good in the, like, logistics and finding out um, travel and all of that. So he does help me out um, quite a bit. Um, But when you're at the events, you – you're really just focusing on golf and trying to not really think about anything else. And that, that can be difficult to do because it is stressful um, in many ways. Um, some of us, it's harder financially to be able to come to these events, uh, especially starting out if you don't have many sponsors. And sponsors, that's another thing you have to uh, – try to figure out for yourself out here. Um, but, yeah, there's quite a lot that goes into these events, and a lot of people just see it as playing golf. And the ones who don't know the lifestyle, they're like, oh, like, that's my dream to do that. It must be so much fun. And it is it is a lot of fun, but there's a lot of work and stress involved. Yeah, and, and just to, to sort of – zero in on the point you know you're fortunate because you've got somebody your dad that's able to help with certain aspects of this so that helps to free up more of your time to focus on the reason you're out there and if you and but mm-hmm. some of them as you said they're they're kind of doing things on their own and especially for somebody that's never done this before i mean sure they're they're great at their their craft they're you know fantastic uh, uh strikers of the ball and putters and all that kind of stuff but maybe they haven't had that this is the first time that they've actually been traveling on their own having to make arrangements 
that adds, as you said, to the stress level already that's, uh, you know, that's uh, tilting, you know, um, having to, to worry about the event. So it's nice to have somebody that can help you with that uh, so that you don't have to worry as much, right? Yeah. Yeah, that helps a lot. And, uh, you know, it, and um, does he travel a lot with you then? Is that the idea as well? Or has he just sort of handled it um, at home and, and certainly comes to some events? But uh, does he travel or do you have somebody that travels with you a lot? Um, I don't. My caddy will travel with me occasionally if I'm going to have him on the bag that week. But as far as, like, travel plans that my dad helps me with, it's mainly just for me. I don't really have family or anything come out with me. So he gets to arrange it but doesn't necessarily always uh, get to go or or always able to go. So, um, And that's good. It gives you a chance to really to work on that. So let me ask you something when it comes to playing. Um, You know, obviously Mm -hmm. to get where you are right now, you have to be – good all the way around at all aspects of your game. But as yes. you know, from playing enough golf, there are going to be moments when, as they say, the wheels fall off the bus. <laughs> and then that's when, when the mental part of the game or the mind game comes into play. What do you say to yourself when that happens? When, when things are not going the way that you're forecasting it, you've prepared for it and it's just not happening. What do you say to yourself mentally to get yourself back on track? Yeah, so a lot of the time whenever um, things are not going well for me on the course, I just have to remind myself every single shot to, like, forget about what just happened and just focus on the one shot. And it takes a lot of courage to do that. It takes a lot of courage to um, step up to every shot regardless of how bad you just hit it before um, and put your best into it. Uh, So that's one thing that I tell myself, uh, just be courageous and just get it done, you know. Um, But I also have a very solid um, pre-shot routine, and that really helps me because if you just focus on the routine, it's much easier to um, follow through with it um, in a more positive way, even if you did just not hit it very great or are having a bad stretch of holes. As long as you stick to your routine and keep it systematic and um, stick to your game plan, things will get better. Yeah, and I think that's where a lot of amateurs – fall short is they don't have a very good mm-hmm. uh, pre-shot routine or even post-shot routine and they just yeah. sort of willy-nilly go all over the place and I'm sure you've seen that in pro-ams mm-hmm. where you know a player will go out and they might start off pretty good and then all of a sudden something happens and they're all over the place um, yeah right and and you you know you want to help them but at the same time you know they're not really paying attention to what they're doing they're just sort of going out there and you know, swinging in the wind, and it just doesn't seem to, to come through. Um, mm-hmm. what, is your, what is your vision for 2023? Obviously, you want to get a win under your belt, but what's, what's your game plan for the season? Um, my game plan for the season is to just play a little bit more consistently than I have been. Um, 
make more cuts, crawl up the leaderboard in some more events, and hopefully get um, top ten in the money list. That's that's my goal for twenty twenty three. Yeah, I think. I think it's good, you know, to to come out and have um, some kind of a game plan. Whatever it is for you is going to be different than somebody else, but it's good to have that, and that gives you, you know, some little goals along the way that you can can set yourself to. Um, and I think it's important that you have that. And again, you're at a level now where you have to do that. Um, otherwise, you're not going to be successful in your career if you're just sort of, you know, again guessing at what you're going to do. You have to have some sort of a game plan. Um, Cindy, go ahead. You've got to be pretty pleased with your play up to this point. I mean, you've missed a couple, a few cuts, but still, again, you know, this is your first year playing. You've only played mm-hmm. five tournaments, right? You just yeah. finished tied for second. You're just starting out, uh, you know. No offense, but your your mindset is awesome. So change anything you're doing. Just again, this is a game. It's a long stretch, right? And what you're doing and thinking is the perfect way to do it and think it. And you just have to try to be more consistent and focus on the next shot. And it's a new swing and. You know, it, you can hit a terrible shot and hit a great shot on the next hole, and you can ship it in. You can make an eagle from the fairway. You know, there's all kinds of great things that can happen as long as you stay courageous and positive. So, mm-hmm. you know, what's the best part of your game? Um, the best part of my game, I would say, is putting. Um, if We were talking about this uh, earlier off air. But um, my stats show that my putting is a little bit higher, which it is. It says uh, my putting average is 32.33. If I can get that down to, like, 29, that would make a big difference for me. But putting is – it always has been my strong suit. But, again, do you hit a lot of greens? Um, I do. I hit. I do hit a lot yeah, of greens. Seventy-three point six one. So again, if mm-hmm. you're going to hit, you know, three quarters of the greens, if you had twenty-eight putts, scoring average is going to be like sixty-eight. Exactly. So again, the more greens you hit, the higher your putting average is going to be, unless you hit it five feet all day. Yeah. So that's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> you know, again, we can always get better, but still, you know, putts per green and regulation is 1.84. Mm-hmm. So that's still pretty yeah, darn so, good. Yeah. And I think I think one thing that might you my stats on here a little bit is that I do count putts from off the green as putts. Yeah, so did I. Because I wanted more greens in regulation. 
you know, but again, I, I if you put it from off the green, yeah. If you put yeah. it from off the green, it's a putt, right? I agree with you. Yeah. Okay, good. Okay. That's good. Yeah. I mean, it's a putt. You know, if I'm putting it, it's a putt. Exactly. And if I three-putt it, that's a three-putt. That is not yeah. a two-putt. But Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. What do you do for fun? Um, so I'm actually really into cars and, um, so I like working on my car. I like going to car meets and that's kind of what I do outside of all, <laughs> which is unusual really? for most, but yeah, that yeah is that's my thing. What yeah. do you mean working on your car? Like do you change your oil? Uh, yeah, stuff like that, and then it's kind of like a, a somewhat older sports car, so it's got issues, and then upgrades and stuff are kind of what I'm trying to work on now. So How did yeah. you learn this? Uh, to be honest, you just kind of learn as you go. <laughs> I don't really know Does what I'm doing, but I'll figure it out. Uh. No, my dad my dad is very much into cars and so is my older brother and they're kinda of who got me into it initially. Um, but no, my dad isn't into like actually working on them so much as driving them. That's pretty cool. Good for you. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant, but yeah. I wouldn't mouth that around too much out there. They, they're going to have you changing their oil. <laughs> oh, I know. I wouldn't mind it either. I quite really. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, well there, that's how you can make some extra money. <laughs> funny you mention that, Teresa. I'm due for an oil change, so I'll just uh, <laughs> drive up to the event and you can oh, yeah. you can uh, ro- you rotate number, the tires right? while you're at it. <laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> oh, so, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I think I think it's fun. You know, you have to have something that you really enjoy that has to be a bit of a respite from um, every day because you you can't you know you cannot focus twenty four seven on golf. I mean, uh, we you know the three of us would agree we all love golf, but you have to have something that that distracts you um, for a period of time just because. Um, you, your brain has to have a rest and it has to refocus somewhere else mm-hmm. so that when you, you refocus onto, you know, the task at hand, you're fresh, you're sharp, and you're able to, you don't, you don't get burnt out as easily. Um, I want to ask you yeah. um, just one last uh, question, just sort of in line with what mm-hmm. we've been talking about. If you were not a professional golfer, let's just say it was not in the cards, the putts were not sinking, the greens and regulation were not happening, what would you be doing? Um, I'm talking about a career. Yeah. Uh, so let's say if I didn't do golf at all or if golf was still. Yeah. No, not at all. No. If you, if golf was not your, your number one profession, if you just were not good enough, were not able to get out there oh, on, okay. on tour, what would you, what would your career alternative be besides uh, professional golf? Um, well, I don't exactly have a plan B. 
Um, but if I did have to do something else, maybe if I was younger and never picked up golf, I would maybe be doing something with cars, working on them or something, or anything like business-related or engineering, anything like that. Hmm. So, Interesting. Maybe you yeah, need to connect not, with somebody. <laughs> you need to connect with somebody in NASCAR or something like that and get into uh, get into one of the pit crews or something maybe. If uh, if golf doesn't end up uh, being your forte, um, you've obviously yeah, uh, been working on that. That would be, I think, that would be kind of exciting. You know, I think it's always interesting, and you know, it's okay not to have. Obviously, you're you're educated, and you can pretty much you know do whatever you want. And and it's good, I think, to have this as your plan A to be. You know, you you've decided at a very early age that you want to become a tour player and you want to get out there and play. And I think you have to give it a hundred percent all the time and you're young enough that, you know, God forbid it doesn't pan out the way you would like. Um, you still have many other options because you do have that, that education behind you. So I think that's good. And you have other passions, um, besides, uh, besides golf to fall back on whatever they may be. So, um, I think it's good. Um, well, Teresa, we're going to let you go cause we know you got to practice, uh, for the next event. Where, 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 what event are you at now? Um, I'm at the Epson event at Buffalo Dunes in Garden City, Kansas. Very good. So you got to get ready for that. And uh, coming yep. off uh, a, a good event last week at uh, Copper Rock, uh, you'll be well on your way. I think, uh, who knows, maybe this one will be the one that uh, decides in your favor. So, um, Teresa, thank you very much for joining us this morning. And my apologies uh, for my earlier misstep, uh, but as Cindy would say, sometimes it's good to keep me shut up. So um, I'm a talker, so I think it's I think it's good. But thank thank you for joining us, and I hope you you'll come back and join us again. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you, I appreciate it. You're welcome. Good luck this week. Bye bye. All right, thank you. Bye. All right, that was Teresa Warner from the Epson tour and um, very, you know, just very quickly, then we'll take a a super short break and then we'll get into the, uh, the no BS zone. We'll, we'll skip through that today. Um, You know, it's always interesting, the different personalities um, of of the very, you know, various players. Don't you agree? I mean, some come in here and they're just um, more casual, more, you know, laid back and just, you know, are excited to be doing what they're doing, but they're not stressing over all the time. And then you get others that, you know, they're just go, 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 go. Um, it's interesting. Don't you agree? I agree. I agree. And, and this one has played five events, missed the cut three times, made 700 bucks the other time, and then made $19,000. So you never know. Right. All right. We're going to take a very quick break. Uh, and then we'll be back, and we will enter the no BS zone. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget. 
and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to golftipsmag.com and subscribe today. All right, welcome back uh, to the Women of Golf Show. I'm Ted Odorico, and, and here with me, of course, is my partner in crime, Cindy Miller. Um, so we're going to enter the no BS zone, Cindy, and we're going to talk about some essential skills. Uh, we've got seven. We'll try to get through them all here. Uh, to becoming, obviously, a better player. Um, you know, golf is, is certainly a motor skill, um, very much like uh, many other uh, sports, like whether it be karate, uh, swimming, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and it's a process that is learned and relearned over time and not a problem that can be solved in just a few easy lessons. So here's um, a brief explanation of, of some different essential skills of golf. The first one is the pre-swing fundamentals. So things like the grip, aim, um, and setup. Uh, most golfers never, uh, certainly in the beginning time, really have held a, a club properly. Uh, so we want to make sure they get the grip right in that. But there's a lot of other things um, uh, as well as aim and so forth. We're going to talk about that in some of the other ones. But getting the fundamentals right, Cindy, I think is is extremely important. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. If you're not set up right and you're not aimed right, you can't hit it where you want it to go. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and there's so many, that, you know, yeah, and, you know, there's obviously you want to be in the correct posture. You want to be in... Uh, aiming correctly. We're going to talk about the club face in a second, but um, I see so many people, and I'm sure you do, Cindy, when you're when you're teaching on the range, and obviously you're focusing on your student. But occasionally, you know, you look around and see what everybody else is doing, and it's amazing how many people that I will see that are not set up properly. They don't have a very good grip. Their ball position is terrible. It's all over the place. It's not consistent. Um, they're slouched over some of them, or they're so rigid that they can't really swing the club. It becomes almost like um, a robot. And I think when I look at it, I say, number one, you need to be relaxed. You need to be loose and relaxed. And I don't mean like a, you know, a wet noodle or something, but you need to have zero tension in your body because all of these things, grip, alignment, posture, all of those things, if you're going in with tense in your body, you're not going to be able to swing the club effectively. What are your thoughts? Correct. Absolutely. The issue, though, in my opinion, is that um, people are told to keep their head down and their arms straight, so they, they lock their head down. And mm-hmm. then they lock their arms, and then they're not relaxed, and then they are too tight, and then they can't swing freely, and then they don't hit the ball well. So right. there's a lot of confusion, if you will. Yeah, and there's a lot of variables, and, and you want to make sure that when you are set up properly, it doesn't mean that you're still occasionally not going to hit a bad shot because obviously you're, you're, especially as a beginning golfer, you're in a learning curve. So you're learning, and that's why I mentioned that in the beginning, is you know just taking one or two lessons is not necessarily going to make you a great golfer. Um, you have to stick with it. One of the other things, too, is you can have a good setup and good posture. The ball can be in a good position, but your club face is not aimed correctly. Club face control is huge. You talk about this many, many times about you know aiming where you want the ball to go. 
And a lot of people don't do that. We see it open, closed, all kinds of things. Talk a little bit about that, because I know this is an area that you touch on very frequently. Well, I taught a clinic yesterday at, at a club in Florida, and I had a woman that tried, she tried to set up square, but then the face was turned in because she would hit the ball to the right. And I'm like, let's try to learn to set the face square to where you want the ball to go. And she was so concerned that it was going to go crooked that it was like, no, 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 no. You got to make sure the face is square and straight. It, It was just absolutely crazy. So I had to just make sure that she knew that the face was square. And so many people don't know what a square club face looks like. Uh, right. With a hybrid or a fairway wood, you got to allow it to lay the way it was made. So if you let go of the grip and just let the face or the head lay down flat on the ground, that iron, the two vertical lines at the end of the grooves should, you know, extend out from the top of the face down the line towards the target where you want it to go. And so the face has to be square to where you want the ball to go. And if it's not, it's just not going to go straight. Yeah, and, and too many people are under the impression that's, that's – yeah, no, that's a great point. Too many people are under the impression, well, just as, as the lady that you were talking about, well, if I shut the club face a little bit, that's going to help compensate for, you know, that bad shot. And the problem is what they start doing is they ingrain bad habits. Instead of learning to do Correct. things correctly – they start making adjustments uh, and compensating. And the problem is when you, make, when you start to make one adjustment, very quickly another adjustment needs to be made. It's kind of like, you know, and I hate to use this analogy, but it's kind of like you take one pill for something to alleviate a symptom here and it creates three others. And right. for me, I would rather make sure, do my homework and make sure that I'm setting up correctly. And even if I still don't hit the ball as solid as I'd like, at least I know I'm doing the right thing, and it's easier to isolate what the problem is. Maybe I'm not. I mean, my posture is not as good as it needs to be, or maybe I'm not swinging the club correctly. Um, whatever shift, you, you name it. But when you start making compensations like that, and especially with the club face, and I see so many people doing that, they say, "Well, you know, I've always alleviated," and it, and it more often than not may do just what you're saying. But the problem is, you're never getting to the root cause and you, all you're doing is, is throwing a bunch of band-aids on it and eventually you're covered in nothing but band-aids and then it just it gets to a point where you're not uh, going to be very efficient another one cindy is we want to strike the ball um not scoop particularly with irons um we see this golfers have to understand to get the ball in the air um doesn't mean that you scoop it up in the air and we see that all the time cindy i'm sure you see that a lot when you're working with, especially newer players, right? Yeah, I mean, you've got to make the club head go down to allow the ball to go up. I see people, you know, standing up, pulling up, and topping it. And I also see people digging down, trying to make the club head get down to the ball, which is, you know, getting their left arm down first, trying to dig it out. You've you've got to allow the club head to brush the ground so that the, so there's a fine line between allowing it to, to brush the ground and pulling up and topping it 
and digging to China, you know. So you've got to let the club head go down, brush the ground, and then the ball goes up. I tell people not to even look at the top of the ball because if they look at the top of the ball, they're going to hit the top of the ball. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of it is, I mean, I've seen people, in, and again, it comes to their setup. They look at the irons, they're thinking, and they treat it like a, like a wood, like they would their driver. And they get well behind the ball, and they're, they're almost leaning uh, excessively to the right for right-handed golfers. And they're trying to, you know, again, hit it up in the air instead of letting the club face do the, the work for them. What people don't really understand and appreciate, particularly with your irons, is, and obviously each one has a different line loft, but they're designed specifically to, when, stru- when, they're, um, when you hit a proper strike, to elevate the ball in the air at a certain trajectory. So obviously your shorter irons, like your nine, your wedges, uh, are going to put the ball more in the air as opposed to straight out. Um, when you start dealing with the three iron, four iron, five iron even, the ball's going to go not as high and it's going to go more out. So you get more distance that way. But what people don't understand is they build their setup in such a way that they get behind. Their hands are behind the club, uh, you know, uh, behind the club had an impact and they subconsciously think that they have to get the ball up in the air by scooping it. And I see this all the time, and it's just if you do the opposite to what you're doing, you're going to have better luck. But I think what it is, and I don't know if this is more something, and again, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but I don't know if this is something that's more common with women or not, but I've spoken to a lot of women and asked them about that, and they're worried about, well, if I hit the ground, it's going to hurt. Have you heard that? Yeah, definitely. They're afraid of digging for sure. For sure, for right, sure. And, and and I can understand that. And if you're coming excessively down, uh, I can understand where that would be a little more um, prevalent. But you know what people don't understand is if you're in a proper setup, and even though the, the strike is going to be downward for your irons, some more than others, um, and not excessively, you're really, as you said, you're just brushing the grass, and you're hitting the ball and taking a slight divot afterwards. You don't need to to move heaven and earth but you do have to have a downward strike. But I think there's a fear. Um, people just are worried that they're going to, you know, take a, a three-foot piece of sod and they end up either flinching or they get behind the ball think, well, if I just kind of hit it up and pick it up and, and get it up in the air, that'll be fine. But they actually end up creating more uh, issues there as well. Um, next one I want to talk about just briefly is, is pivoting. Um, this is something, obviously, we're pivoting because you're shifting your weight into the backswing, um, and then ultimately as you um, then pivot back to, um, at, and you're also turning to your front foot. So again, for right-handed golfers, that would be pivoting back on your right leg in the backswing, and then as you swing through, you're essentially pivoting back onto your left leg. Um, one of the things that I think, too, that a lot of people have is there has to be a separation between the upper body and lower body because you're, you're winding up to build that tension and torque, if you will, in order to generate power. This is something that we see. We don't see a pivot. We see a slide. Your thoughts here? I agree. I tell people to knock their knees in so that they can't slide so much because that restricts their lower body from moving too much. So I tell people to try not 
to slide, to keep their head still. They're going to, if they swing it back the right way, their shoulders are going to turn because their arms are going to swing back correctly close to their body, Mm -hmm. which is going to turn their shoulders, which is going to make their hips want to move. Therefore, they're going to turn and their weight's going to shift. On the other hand, if they don't knock their knees in, they're going to sway, their head's going to go flying with them, uh, and they're going to move way off the ball. So that's what I tell people to do. Yeah, and essentially on the backswing, the pivot happens essentially above the waist as you get your left shoulder, again, for right-handed golfers, the opposite for for left-handed. Um, behind the ball on your backswing. The lower body remains relatively quiet. It sort of follows along for the ride. Um, You don't want to force it one way or the other. You want it to allow that that natural turn to happen um, naturally. And then on the downswing, the opposite happens as you engage your legs and hips to create a strong impact and finish position. So you're actually unwinding the body, but you're doing it in reverse coming through. And it's a matter of timing. And I think this is an area, too, that people don't, really understand is tempo and timing and you know these are things that you can work on in the range you don't want to do it when you're out on the golf course but you want to do it when you're working in a practice session on your own or with your instructor and that is to work on your tempo and timing because there is it's actually a lot simpler than what people make it out to be but they're trying to force these positions you see people can the club up as an example in their backswing they're not actually swinging the club they're picking it up so your body doesn't naturally turn in the backswing. And conversely, once you've, again, like we talked earlier, when you do that Band-Aid, when you're sort of doing something to make an adjustment, thinking you're getting extra power, um, then now something has to happen, an opposite uh, reaction has to happen in order to be able to get back to the ball and because you're not swinging properly. So you have to make sure you pivot right. And the only way you're going to do that is to get out there and practice and make sure you're, but you've got to practice the right things, not the wrong things. And this brings us um, to effortless power, not powerless effort. Um, you want to be able to create, obviously, Cindy, a powerful club head speed. Um, the club head definitely needs to be swinging faster than the end of the club, which is the handle, um, very similar like a pendulum. Um, but it has to be a result of what we just talked about, your body turning through the ball. Uh, and not forcing it. Um, and a good example I can think from the men's side is Ernie Els. Um, you know, he's got a very effortless-looking swing, but generates a heck of a lot of power and club head speed. Um, your thoughts here? Totally agree. Totally agree. Again, if if you don't allow the arms to relax and swing the head, then you're going to be swinging the shaft, and you're not going to have any power. So you must be able to feel the weight of the head of the club and allow the club head to swing. So, again, I would suggest that you knock the knees in, relax the arms, swing the head of the club. And if you do that, you're going to develop a lot of effortless power and be able to hit it really far with not a whole lot of work. Yeah, it's amazing, really, when you think about it. Uh, and you watch some of these players who, um, you know, obviously some of the more modern players, you see them, you know, really trying to kill it. And I don't suggest that for anybody. I mean, these guys work on it so much. Um, and the, the bad part of that is in time, as so many before them, they're going to end up having physical problems later down in life. When you try to generate that much torque and speed, um, you know, to get it out there 350 yards, um, 
that in my opinion, that's just my opinion too, is I think that you run the risk of, of injury. You don't need to swing and, and pull that club as fast as you think. People talk about, well, you know, if you do this, you can pull it down as fast as you want. No, uh, it has to be in sync. It has to be in timing. One thing that a lot of people miss out too, and this goes to what you were talking about, is uh, sort of width in your golf swing. So you want to be able to keep the same distance between your hands and your body when you're at the top of your swing uh, that you had um, between your hands and your sternum in your setup. So in other words, you don't want to collapse your arms towards your body at the top of your swing. And we see that, and I think one of the causes for that, Cindy, is people try to want, think they want to get that extra distance, so they try to overturn, kind of like a John Daly, which might work for him but doesn't work for everybody else, and their body cannot support that much of a turn, and the only thing that can happen is the tension gets so great that their arms collapse because they cannot handle, their body cannot handle the stress. Um, you don't need to you know, turn your body 360 degrees in order to get more distance. And keeping that width in your golf swing is important because if you collapse your arms and then you try to swing through, you're going to either top it or your arms are going to get slung out and you're going to hit it fat. So it brings a lot of bad shots. So uh, is there a drill that you can think of, Cindy, that is good to help people keep that in mind, to keep that, that width? Is there anything that you do that uh, that helps that? Hmm. Good question. Well, I'll tell you what I do, no. and maybe this might uh, – no? Okay. I, what I like to do is I, – you see this all the time – is I put a ball between um, my, my elbows and, and upper body, and I turn that way because I can't collapse my arms with that ball. And it doesn't have to be a huge ball, and I, but it's just something – you know, maybe the size of a basketball uh, or, or a volleyball – um, just something that obviously you can you comfortably, and you don't have to grip it with your elbows really tight, but that keeps two things uh, going. It keeps you, number one, uh, it keeps that sort of the triangle as you turn through. And then once I get to the top of my backswing, I cannot, it's almost impossible for me to collapse my arm because that ball is in the way. And uh, again, you don't have to swing with it. Some people do. I just do it because it's a way of, of engaging the upper body and showing what it feels like and that ball prevents me from collapsing the other thing is is i try to encourage students to do a shorter backswing let's go back as short as possible go a little bit longer each time until we get to the point where there's too much tension once you get that that's your backswing and if you want to increase that if it's not enough for you then there's exercise that you can get through um, a certified teaching professional uh, that 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 deals with um, the physical part of the game, meaning uh, a fitness and uh, certified golf fitness instructor. That's who you want to deal with. They can give you specific exercise to help that flexibility, but you don't want to be turning around. So that's one drill that I use is with the ball between the arms. That for me, I find helps because you cannot collapse the ball, or sorry, you cannot collapse your arms with that ball there. What do awesome. you think? Good. Very good. So keep that in mind next time you're out. And finally, don't think about all of these things that we're talking about all at once. It certainly can be overwhelming. We don't want you out there thinking. We want you out there having fun. These are things that you want to take to the driving range when you're getting ready to work uh, on your game uh, and getting ready, um, not during a warm-up, but during a practice session. And if some of these things that you're having difficulty with, 
then you reach out to your teaching pro and you say, hey, these are some areas that I'm really struggling with. Let's get a game plan. And they will greatly uh, help you do that. Um, and practice. Practice what they're giving you. They'll give you uh, specific drills for certain things. Um, and there's a lot. There's a, there's a lot of different drills that you can do. Um, and if some are, are too challenging for you, ask for something a little bit simpler and work your way up. Um, but you need to get out there and you need to practice. But more, most importantly, you want to have fun. And the only way you're going to do that as, as you become a better player is focusing on some of the things that we talked about today. So hopefully that will help everybody. And uh, I think we're good. Perfect. Awesome. On that note, again, my apologies for earlier missteps. Um, I will try to keep my mute on mic next time around. But we want to thank, again, our special guest, Teresa Warner, for joining us from the Epson Tour. Um, and uh, hopefully some of the tips that we gave you here on the No BS Zone will help you uh, as you get ready to play your next round of golf. So on that note, on behalf of Cindy Miller, I'm Ted Odorico. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in this morning on the Women of Golf. God bless, and we'll see you next week here on the Women of Golf Show. Thanks, Cindy. Thanks, Ted. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's Women of Golf Show. Ted and Cindy wish to thank this week's special guests. Remember to join them every Tuesday from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the iGolf Sports Network or on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStreamLive, and of course Spotify. To get updates on the show, you can follow the Women of Golf's Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash womenofgolf. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.